You're listening to Law and Gospel on this September the 28th in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is my good friend and co-host, Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Good morning, Wes. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I'm doing really good, and I hope you're doing okay also. You uh, got a good... uh, uh, email you sent us. You know, a lot of people are just totally confused as a Christian when we see so-called Christian pastors who are saying there's nothing wrong with being a gay person. And in fact, isn't it obvious that there are some pastors who even married another male pastor and they're living together right i just ran across an article where a methodist pastor had been defrocked for doing a gay wedding and then they since overturned it and allowed him back in saying it's okay yes yeah well you can understand that out of methodism uh elca elka they even have pastors, male pastors, who are married to other males. And I I don't understand how somebody can stay in a congregation like that. Although I just read a report that within the last few years, the ELCA has lost 40% of their membership. And I can understand that because they're not hearing the word of God there at all, are they? No. Another article I read that in the Elka, they call them senates. In our realm, we call them districts, that they just openly elected a a uh, gay bishop in California. Boy. Yeah. Well, that's why we encourage people, be aware of the Lutheran church you're attending because if it's Elka, your money is being spent for heretical causes. And a lot of people don't realize that. I'm not saying that everyone in Elka is a heretic. No, there are believers in Elka, but they are ignorant of what their church leadership is truly teaching and where the money is going. So, How can a pastor be for the gay movement in light of passages from the scripture? Uh, There's one in Romans. What what does it say? Well, Romans chapter 1, to begin with, for this reason God gave him to dishonorable passions, for women exchanged natural relations with those contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Yes, recently in a gay pride march in a city, some of the gay men were totally naked and then Mm -hmm. walked... Uh, among the children that were along the side watching the the parade. And this 
didn't seem to cause much of a problem for those people who were at the parade. But it shows how shameless they are. And as the Bible continues, they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. And though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So if you're in such a congregation where the pastor is for the gay movement, you need to understand that that's what he's going to be telling your children in youth confirmation. So how did this come about where you got such an obvious Bible passage from Romans by the Apostle Paul that theologians in the 20th century now say it's not true? Well, what happened was they, they said that, that Paul contradict what Jesus has to say. And that's how they kind of get around it. Jesus never said it. Paul came up with a new teaching. Well, that's interesting. So the writings of Paul are different than the sayings of Jesus they're talking about. But are the writings of Paul different from when the Bible says, and this is what God says, because Jesus is God, so is the Father. Are there any passages where God speaks out against the gay movement? Well, there's there's Levitical law. You take uh, Leviticus 18. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And so, you know, right there in, eight, in chapter 18, it tells us that God is against such a an abomination. Well, yes. Yeah, so what are they talking about that... There's a difference between Paul and Jesus when there's really not a difference between Paul and God. And so these words of Christ uh, particularly are important. And we cannot say that the Bible divides Jesus from the rest of the apostles. Why? are the apostles' writings as good as what Jesus says? Because holy men of God moved, were moved by the Holy Spirit to, to, to write those, or, or what we are told. You know, exactly. listening, to, listening to this makes me stop and think. You, you, you mentioned it many times that the greatest Bible study was on the road to Emmaus, and that was all Old Testament. And exactly. Paul was, and Paul, wasn't he a, a, a devout Jew there before he was converted in, in the way of the rabbinical writings? And he knew the Old Testament. But what's interesting to note, there's no Bible book written by Jesus, is there? No, there isn't. 
we believe that the whole scripture from Genesis to Revelation is the story about Jesus. And it is the word of Jesus. So a lot of times when you're reading the Bible, whether you're in the New Testament or the Old Testament, much of that is the words of Jesus. And as God the Father said about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, we are to listen to him. And you already mentioned that the holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And you get a unified record of the historical facts. Now, were there other things that Jesus did and say that are not recorded in the Bible? Well, of course, you would, you would re, you're referring to John chapter 21, verse 25, which talks about that many things were not recorded for the faith of the believers, but uh, these things are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ. Yes, so that Jesus made these promises, and these promises are fulfilled in the completion of the entire Bible, uh, through the writing of the book of Acts, the epistles, and the apocalypse. And that's, of course, the book of Revelation. What, what did one scholar write about that? Well, uh, I lost my train of thought. Afterwards, he is not saying, when he, the Spirit, shall guide you in all truth, he shall guide your successive steps in the central parts of it. Right. So the quote is, God will guide you as by successive steps into the whole of that truth. Have you learned about the Bible through successive steps? In fact, I got my catechism open. Uh, kind of reminds me of my days of, of teaching it, as well as when I went through it. Question four in the catechism, what is the correct understanding of the Bible? And we learn Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is the heart and center of Scripture, and therefore is the key to its true meaning. You mentioned the road to Emmaus. There you had two disciples who had been around Jesus for at least three years. And boy, did they need to get an, a successive step when they met him on the road to Emmaus because they could not understand why he had been crucified they could not understand the women who were saying that he was raised from the dead. And, and that's why we encourage people to come to church every week because you are successively learning new things about the Bible that you did not know the week before. 
and that is to comfort you. Right, and that's what we taught with our junior confirmants, our seventh and eighth graders, that uh, this, this intense study is just the beginning of an intense love and knowledge of, of learning about Jesus and and his truth. That it doesn't confirmation is not the end of, of learning, but the beginning of more intense learning. And that really follows the next step is that we need to have a satisfactory answer is why there exists apostolic teaching that appears to be new ethical teaching distinct from what our Lord taught during his earthly ministry. Uh, can you give an example of one of those items? Well, there was a charge to the married people in 1 Corinthians 7. And to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not separate from her husband. As to the rest, I say, not not the Lord. And if a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, she consents to live with him. He should not divorce her if any woman has a husband who is not an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. Now that's really kind of important because within that passage from 1 Corinthians 7, beginning with verse 10, Paul says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. And then he says it in the next sentence, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. Now, in the first one, he appears to be saying something that he got from the Lord himself. In the second one, he's saying something that he has to say, and he doesn't indicate that it's from the Lord. Do we still need to listen to Paul when he speaks in that way? Well, yes. I mean, he's given us advice that, that uh, we should follow, and I would rather say that it's advice that he predicates on the Word of God. So what we're saying is that sometimes Paul is repeating what he heard from the Lord Jesus or from his disciples, what the Lord said. And other times he is giving new information that the Lord had not said, but was still inspired and inerrant because Paul is being moved by the Holy Spirit. And I, and I agree with you. Like I said, Paul has, has an Old Testament learning background, so he knew what the Word of God had to say in the Old Testament. And we believe that he was uh, trained by Jesus after his uh, road to Damascus experience that he spent several years in the desert being taught by Jesus. So sometimes that passage is understood 
as if Paul were instituting a difference between the authoritative teaching of Christ and his own unauthoritative judgment on questions bearing upon marriage and separation. But is that what you find with a careful reading of the whole passage? No, it's, uh, it's the utterance of Christ as in the days of his flesh. On the other hand, it's the teaching of the apostle that went you know, on the cases dealt by Christ on the other. So it, it, he separates out his, his teaching from Christ. Can you think of something you preached in a sermon that is not found in the Bible? Well, I don't think I can remember a time I didn't. I always try to find something that... Well, I, I can think of about a hundred of them. A hundred. For example, should you tell your congregation not to go over the speed limit when they're driving? Well, yeah. Is that in the Bible anywhere? No. Then how can you say something like that if it's not in the Bible? No. It's not specifically stated in the Bible you should not go over the speed limit, but it does talk about it in Romans where you should obey those in authority over you. Excellent. Exactly. So there are hundreds of times in a sermon that you're talking to people in your own congregation, and they may have a vocation that isn't even found in the Bible, but maybe they are sinning through their vocation, like uh, maybe being a construction worker. I don't remember too much from the Bible about how construction workers are to operate properly in the world, but it sure comes close when you're dealing with the fourth commandment and other commandments and we can expand on that and help the people to realize things they may not know of from the Bible, but what the Bible would definitely agree with. I would agree with that. I, I think that's a good explanation that um, you're talking about the, the sanctified living and how yes. we carry that every day in our life. Well said. Yes, and that sanctified living, all of the commandments from God are not necessarily specifically found in the Bible because a lot of the elements that we deal with in our life today weren't even present in the time of the Bible. But, for, for example, when it talks about speaking out uh, against the immorality of the world. There's immorality in our day that is different than the immorality in the day of Jesus. What, what is the, the danger of pitting the teachings of Jesus in contradiction to those of the Apostle Paul? Well, it can result in a division in in the Bible, the people can be 
led to undermine both the apostolic teaching of redemption as well as the apostolic ethic of lives of members of the New Testament, such as homosexuality. It, it uh, places the, the power of the word in mankind and not in in God itself. It's kind of like the hymn that you guys um, covered the other day, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word, your word, God's word. It kind of reminds me that if you're going to say we can show contradictions between what God says and what Paul says, then the people at the Babylonian captivity could be correct in saying that what Jeremiah said is not what God is saying. Remember, Jeremiah talked about the destruction of the temple. And the people were so angry at him for saying that, that they were ready to put him to death. Mm. See, they had the same problem that liberals today have between Paul and Jesus. They had it between Jeremiah and God himself. Because did what Jeremiah say, was that truly the word of God? Well, yes because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so, go ahead. You know, as as we talk about it, one of the new passages that he came up with on this homosexuality was 1 Timothy 1.10, the sexually immoral who practice homosexual enslaves, you know, the LGBTQ uses Romans and Corinthians uh, against us. But uh, you go to First Timothy, it, it talks about the practice itself uh, being incorrect. So there's a splitting of the Bible that goes on when when you see that versus Leviticus, the the, the whole Word of God. Well, they would again use the argument that the Timothy passage was written by Paul. And that's why there's a contradiction between what Paul says and what others say. For example, when Jesus would sit and talk with tax collectors, who the Pharisees thought were sinners because they were working with the Romans, or when he spoke and talked with prostitutes, you cannot jump to the conclusion that he was therefore okaying the act of prostitution, was he? Right. That's an excellent point that you bring up. I mean, a policeman stops a robber and confronts him about his robbery. It's not taking part in that robbery. Exactly. So... If you agree with the liberal theologians of our day that Paul and Christ contradicted one another, then you're going to have a real problem in the whole scripture. It's going to ultimately serve to undermine 
the revelation of God in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Because all you have to do is become like those in the Babylonian captivity who are saying, well, Jeremiah is just speaking for himself. This is not the word of God. And of course, that's what they believed. And it just kind of reminds you what Jesus said. Thy word is truth, and then also heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Exactly. Because he said about himself, I'll begin it, you end it. I am the way, the, the truth and the love. Truth. Exactly. There is no way to come to the Father except through Jesus. And that's why we encourage members to be attending church each Sunday, reading their Bibles at home, teaching their children from Luther's small catechism, because the world is our enemy. It's really the devil who is trying to put views in our mind that contradict the clear passages of Holy Scripture. And therefore, we could lose our salvation if we believe them. So this is an important article. There is no contradiction between the teachings of the Apostle Paul and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we sing this coming Sunday that hymn that you had, Lord, keep us steadfast in thy word. Exactly. To be kept steadfast in his word means we will not deny it. We will always affirm it and we will share it with people so that they too may have the comfort that we have that God has saved us and heaven is our home. Thank you very much, Wes Reimnitz, in helping us with this article. Do Jesus and Paul contradict one another? No, they don't, because the Holy Spirit is behind the words of each. We'll continue with a Law Gospel discussion on tomorrow's Law and Gospel. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.